to be on the screen. Um, Psalm 57 reads, uh, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, all right. Uh, today, uh, we have a special guest preacher. Um, you, you might have seen him sitting in, uh, sitting in the pews or the seats. Uh, I would like to invite uh, a good friend and a brother. And um, the, the minister who will be preaching God's word today is uh, Pastor Dan Lee. If we can all give him a warm welcome as he comes up. Yeah, I think we should give it a crack. Hold on, I might. Um, does that work better for you? Hello, hello. One, two, one, two. One, two. Okay. Is that clear? Cool. Yeah, all right, cool, all cool, right. cool. All right. Um, um, Dan, uh, I don't think you've ever preached at our church before. So, no, no. Um, yeah, as, as someone who's new for preaching for the first time, um, can you just give us a, a mini uh, auto bio yeah, of, yeah. of who you are, <laughs> uh, who you're married to, your family? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so my name's Dan, uh, born in Spain, uh, as you can tell, and uh, moved to Adelaide when I was three, uh, moved to Sydney about 10 years ago to study, uh, married to Jiwon, who's a photographer. I've got a young boy who's nine months, he couldn't make it today. Um, they're at our church, which is currently Scott's in the city in Wynyard. Um, and when I'm not preaching, I guess I'm, I'm working a nine to five. Uh, head of marketing at a financial institution, and uh, yeah, just juggling lots of things <laughs> and trying to stay sane with lack of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for um, coming and uh, preaching at our church no, in the you. midst of all your busyness. Um, just a couple more questions as we get to know uh, Pastor Dan. Um, what's uh, one of your favorite Bible characters uh, or uh, persons, yeah, yeah. Um, and and why? I like Peter. So Peter, because I think you kind of, well, I resonate with his kind of stupidity at times, and you fall and stumble, and God kind of, Jesus always lifts him up and restores him every time, and I think I like that type of um, dynamic. So, yeah, yeah, Peter. Awesome. Um, and then uh, if you have, uh, uh, some, some people will call it kind of like a life passage uh, from the Bible. Uh, do you have one? And if so, are you able to share um, some meaning behind that? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a couple, but I think the one that comes to mind is Second 
Corinthians 5.17, but <laughs> I've, lost, I've gone blank, right? All right. Second <laughs> Corinthians 5.17. Um, let's let's, let's get that um, up. <laughs> I've gone blank. Um, new creation in Christ. Um, behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Uh, that's the one. Uh, I think because I'm, I'm a late bloomer Christian, like I became Christian in, when I was about 26, there's a lot of my life that I felt was maybe not so redeemable. And I think when, when God declares there's a new identity and you have a new life in him, um, that meant a lot to me in, that, in the early days for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, Thank you. Pastor Dan, and um, I'll hand it over to you oh, to okay. deliver right. um, the word and preach from Psalm 57. Let's do it. All right. I'm like really close, huh? I'm going to move back because I'm scared <laughs> of you guys. <laughs> All right. So I, the, the theme, I think, is uh, conversations with God. Um, you know, as we look at the psalm this morning, I guess the question that sort of naturally pops up is, you know, what are your conversations with God like? Um, are they awkward? Are they close? Are they transactional? And do you enjoy them? You know, I, I can't really read your thoughts, even though you may think I have telepathy, but that's not the case. But at least I can tell you what mine are like, and, and I can tell you that they're too few and far apart than I'd like. But perhaps today, as we read through Psalm 57 together, we can begin to enjoy our conversations with God a bit more. Because as we read, we'll begin to know Him more through His Word. And this is what we anticipate every time we open His Word, that He would speak to us and show us more of what He's like. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You sent Your Son and that you sent your spirit that speaks to us and illumines your word so that we can know you all the more. We are praying that you would point our eyes to Christ this morning and that we would love to speak to you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're in trouble, who do you call? Who do you call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> I knew someone would say. And why do you call them? Most likely because you trust them and know they'll respond. Just like when I call my wife rather than the local barista when my son is sick, or I don't call a random person. I call my wife because I can trust her and that she'll respond. And in the same way, David in today's psalm begins with a call to the God he can trust, which leads us to our first point out of three today. Number one, pleading and praying to God who is our refuge pleading and praying to God, who is our refuge, which is verses 1 to 3. So now the context of the psalm is that David is sitting in a cave hiding from King Saul. He's the king of Israel, and he's out to kill David because he's become jealous uh, of David's military prowess, uh, his popularity with the people, and the fact that you, you notice the wording in 1 Samuel, the Lord was with him and that the Lord was not with Saul. And that really starts bugging him. And so David's sitting in this cave, hiding. God's anointed, hiding in a cave, while the king of Israel is out to kill him. I wonder if you've ever felt like David before. You're sitting in a cave, 
thinking and wondering, are things going to be okay? As you sit there, you're thinking, is God really fulfilling his purposes in my life as I sit here in the dark? Well, as David sits in the cave, he begins to pray this psalm. And he begins to pray out of desperation. But you can also hear faith in his prayer. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Not this cave, not my strength, but in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You know, David's speaking in a way that knows that this situation will pass by. How? He's right in the thick of it. It's because he trusts in his God, and even more, we also know that he's been anointed by God to be the next king. So deliverance has to come one way or another from God, even if it doesn't look like that way at the moment. Verse 2, he says, I cry out to God most high, the sovereign God, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And you kind of think, how can God be fulfilling his purposes for David when his life is in danger and he's hiding in a cave? How does being driven to pleading and praying to God for his safety turn to saying to God, you're the one who fulfills my purpose? Well, if you felt this way, you can pray also if you trust the one who you're praying to is the one who says, who is who he says he is. Because if we look carefully and break down the attributes of God that David is trusting in, in the verses 1 to 3, we can see them as follows. He says, God is merciful. He'll be merciful to me. God is my refuge. He'll protect and shelter me. God is most high or sovereign. He is the one in control over this situation, even the king of Israel who wants my life. And so he, the sovereign God, will fulfill his purpose for me, even if I can't see it. I'll trust he'll do it. God is also mighty to save. He will send help from heaven and shame my enemies. And God is steadfast in love and is faithful. His love is ever upon me and he is faithful to, to who he says he is. Now, well, if you put it that way, maybe David isn't so detached and delusional to his situation as he prays to God who is in control and cares for him as he sits in this little cave. And what we discover is that this prayer changes in the next verses from petition to worship. And so point two out of three is worship in the midst of suffering. Worship in the midst of suffering, verses four to six. You know, a few years ago, I worked in a company uh, where the culture was so toxic that I had panic attacks and, and constant anxiety, even um, looking at email alerts or even opening up an email. Now, I could not understand why God would make me go through this. You know, why would God make me suffer like this? You know, <laughs> but things didn't get better. It kept getting worse, and my condition and, and mental well-being kept deteriorating. And yet something fascinating started happening. A, a very near blind woman at our church came and spoke to me. She had just left a job uh, because she had been bullied so severely she had to leave. And to make things worse, she was unsure of the job prospects for someone of her seniority and also disability. 
And yet she came over to me and said, you know, I went through something similar to you. You know, I'm really sorry to hear that you're going through this. I'm not in much better shape now, but we can pray for each other. So let's do that. Why don't we do that? And so we began to pray for one another. And not long after, another person comes up to me and says, hey, I'm going through something similar. Can, can we pray together? And so we pray together. And then another person turns up. Hey, hey, I'm having some trouble at work. My boss is treating me really poorly. Can we pray together? And then again and again, and this sort of snowball of people going through trouble start praying together. And in the midst of suffering, what you realize is God's people worshiping together. They're being drawn closer to God as we draw closer to one another. And in the same way, we can read verses 4 to 6. You know, David names the reason why he's suffering. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are sharp and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. I don't know if you've felt this way before about people, because people sometimes are just the worst when colleagues, friends, or family betray you. David has. And yet, he says that in verse 4. In verse 5, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know, in the midst of the suffering, the pain from others, he starts to worship God. It's as if the intangible promises of God have become like a formidable, immovable, and sturdy pillar that he can hold to, grip onto, lean on, and rest on. He's saying, I'm in your refuge, O God, my soul is safe. These, it doesn't matter how these people deal with me because you are with me. So even now in the pain, shine even in the pain so that others may see my refuge, my strength and my song. Help others see you. Help others see you over all the earth even though I'm sitting in a little cave. And so the next verse shows the folly of those who go against God's people. He says, They set a nap net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they've fallen into it themselves. You know, in this really crappy situation, David is seeing God's victory. It's someone sitting in a dark cave, seeing the light of the victory of God that he brings. So when you see the victory of God, and you are sure of it in your heart, what do you do? What do you say when you see that light? Point three, the heart and song of the saved. The heart and song of the saved, verse 7 to 11. You say, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory or my whole being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So how can David sing and shout for joy like this? And how can we do this? You know, when you sit at a restaurant and you see a nice meal go by, you go, I want what he's having, right? I want what David's having, right? Well, it's because God is speaking to his heart and making his promises real to him. That's 
what the Spirit does. It makes the Word become life and true to you. You know, and what comes to truth is God is being who He said He is. He is being faithful, and we cannot ask for anything better than that. It were as if God was with Him in the cave. Now, I don't know what you guys are going through, nor do I know what you've been through or what you will go through. But you're sitting here because God is a reality to you, real enough to come out and listen to the Bible explained on a long weekend. And I do not know your story of times where you have felt helpless, maybe suffered at the hands of others, maybe wept in your sin or fallen in desperation. But what I do know is that David in a cave felt like God was with him. Then how much more will we who have Christ feel and know of God's presence with us by his Spirit? Not only can the Lord Jesus sympathize with us in our suffering, betrayal, and pain, for he has been there too. But for us who believe in him, he promises his spirit. And by his grace, he gives his spirit to people like you and me. And his spirit breathes new faith and life into people like us. And in our weakness, in our suffering, he reminds us who he is so that we can remember who we are in him. We are reminded that we are in Christ, inseparable from his steadfast love and faithfulness. And by his grace and his strong arm, we're held all the way to his family table for eternity. That's why we can join David as we remember who we are in him and say with singing heart, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. I will give thanks to your Lord among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know, if you haven't picked it up yet, Christians are quite well known to sing in the midst of suffering, not in a delusional or a detached way, that doesn't acknowledge the actual suffering at hand, but because they know they are ultimately safe in the refuge of their God. And that's who we are. So let me end with a story. Uh, Horatio Spafford, who wrote, It is well with my soul, which we sang this morning, was someone who was well acquainted with suffering and tragedy, and yet he also sang. You know, the story goes that Horatio was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a great fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Around the same time, he lost his son also to scarlet fever. You know, thinking a vacation would do his family some good, two years later, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them shortly after, after he dealt with some business at home. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, that ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that said, saved, alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set for sale 
to England to join his grieving wife. As Horatio grieved and thought about his daughters, it is said that words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind as he went over the place that his daughters had died. And he wrote them down. And the words say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, Pastor Theologian John Piper comments on this song. He says, how can it be well? How can it be well? In the loss of his daughters, how can it be well? Well, he goes on in the song, which says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well because he knew Christ loved him. He saw it in the cross. And when he gets to the end of the song, he has Christ coming back with a great triumph, not to judge him, but to save him and to raise his dead daughters one day as well. In the same way, you and I are encouraged by David in the psalm to know even in the midst of suffering and trial, Christ has regarded your helpless estate and has shed his own blood for you and for me. Whether you're sitting in a cave or you're sitting in darkness, it is well with your soul. It is well with my soul as well. And we can praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Help our hearts to know this and remember who we are, when are in you. We are your children. Would you be the one who draws us nearer to you so that even in our sorrow, we are yet rejoicing and singing of our God who saves, who is our refuge and our hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.